Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each Saturday morning at 7.30, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life now your hosts of beyond the business eric cox and leslie haywood and great saturday morning low country welcome to another edition of beyond the business heard exclusively here on 94.3 wsc every saturday morning from 7 38 we appreciate you getting up and tuning the dial to listen to great stories of entrepreneurship and leadership i'm one of your hosts eric cox here this morning with Byron Stahl, glad to be here. Thank Good you. Good to have you here, Byron, this morning, filling in for Leslie, who's out this week. And uh, Byron, as you probably have heard, is uh, quite a frequent fill-in on our uh, show here. So it's good to have you back. Yeah, glad to be back. It's been a few weeks. Been a few weeks. And uh, speaking of a few weeks, hard to believe we are now in August. Uh, I don't know where the year has gone, but uh, it's flying by. We're in August. And the only good news about it, football is around the corner. That is true. Can't so, wait. A lot of people are excited here for football. Uh, we're excited to get on to another guest of great stories, uh, again, of leadership and entrepreneurship. But before we do, just a quick recap from last week's show. We had Mr. Jay Mosley on, who is the COO of Strategic Solutions Integrated here in Charleston. And uh, Jay, again, uh, over the last two weeks, just did a great job of talking about some of the ups and downs and challenges of going from uh, really the government sector uh, into a uh, large private corporation and then into entrepreneurial water. So he had the opportunity to experience all facets of life. And uh, if you get a chance, go back to our website at coastalwm.com and you can click on the radio icon and listen to Jay's show. As a matter of fact, you can listen to all of our shows from great leaders that we've had on this show over the last four years. And quick takeaway or two from Jay last week. He really talked a lot, Byron, about you know the fact that you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. We've uh, certainly heard that quite a bit. Seems and like a pretty common theme for most of our guests. Common thing for, for uh, entrepreneurs. But he really talked a lot about uh, the things that matter. And he said leadership, capital, and family were three of the biggest things that matter as an entrepreneur. And I love the fact when he talked about family, that his time with his family enables him to free up space in his head and to release some of the stress so that he's better in the role as leader of his organization. And so what a great tidbit that was. Again, if you missed Jay, just go check that out on our website with the podcast. Uh, now it's time to turn to today's guest, Mr. Robert Seidel. Robert, thank you for being here today. That's good to be here, Byron. Thank you. Glad to have you in the studio this morning. And uh, Robert, you are the former president of Amex uh, Japan, as well as the head of Australia and New Zealand. Looking forward to hearing all your experiences. I know you have a lot to share with us today on the show. Uh, this is probably one of those shows we could go on for about four or five weeks and not really get to hear all of it. So you're going to have to condense it for us. Uh, but we're excited and ready to go if you are. I'm happy to get started. Sure. Perfect. Well, as everyone knows, getting started, we like to go to the very beginning of the story because it gives a nice uh, insight as to where things will end up going. So, Robert, why don't you just give us a bit quick background on where you're from? What was your family life growing up? Well, I'm from Dallas, Texas. It's where I grew up. And I have three brothers and a sister. I'm the oldest of the five and spent my whole um, uh, early years and all the way through graduation from high school there in Dallas. My family all lives in Texas with one exception still today. And they really don't understand why anyone 
would leave Texas. The great state of Texas, right? That's right. That's right. And Texans are like that, and those that leave are really um, – there's a lot of questions about about that. But um, nevertheless, they still welcome me back when I do come back. And uh, it's a great place to grow up. Uh, it's a great city. And, uh, and it, you know, I um, – had a lot of uh, great experiences there in school, and and started my work working life there. First as a paper boy, and uh, then a, in retails, uh, working in retail stores during high school. So I kind of got a feel for the working world by the time I left. Uh, Dallas to go to college. So. And what type of youngster were you, Robert? Were you uh, studious and all into you know schoolwork? Were you more into sports and extracurricular activities? Well, I, I was. Uh, I was a good student. I I, uh, I made a, a decent grades, and uh, I was very involved in extracurricular activities. Uh, I um, played basketball, and uh, I uh, played tennis, and also uh, was very involved. I was a yearbook uh, a yearbook editor. I was uh, in uh, student government, and it was. I went to a very big high school, uh, 700 in my graduating class. Wow. Um, but did it was you, good. As you were coming through uh, you know, sort of the elementary and middle school, did you have this vision of, hey, when I grew up, this is what I want to be one day? I always thought I wanted to be a teacher. Okay. And uh, that was kind of my, my thought uh, up until really when I graduated from college. I thought, I mean, high school rather, I um, thought that that's where I wanted to, my direction. Um, but, um, I guess that's because I admired, I had a really, some really good teachers and a, uh, a number of them, which I really admired and had great experiences, uh, learning from, but, um, I, I really wasn't thinking about business at that point in, point in time. So that was, was to evolve like, later. That was right. later. Yeah. But from what it sounds about. like the seeds of leadership more so than anything started early, what being involved in student government getting involved in all the extracurricular activities and wanting to be a teacher, which is the leader of a classroom. I, I suppose. I think that uh, certainly I, I like to be involved in, in the planning and, and executing things. And uh, I always like to be in a position where I could do some decision-making. So that's been pretty much uh, kind of a core interest of mine all along and something we'd love to kind of dive into is about the parental aspect of what were your parents doing at this time well uh my dad was a uh, weights engineer for uh ltv corporation uh he he worked on the the uh first first uh stealth bomber that was the big product that they put out when i was growing up and my mother was a homemaker um and she had a full-time job, but just didn't ever leave the house uh, for that. Um, I had brothers, um, uh, three brothers and a sister. They were all very involved in, in activities. Um, there was, our family was going nonstop. And um, it, was, it was an active childhood. And, you know, I never had a room to myself. <laughs> uh, we, we were pretty, pretty crowded in our house, but uh, it, was, it was a good now, I was going to ask, what was your relationship like with your three brothers and sister? Good. I have a I, in our family. It goes uh, the spacing is two five two five. So 
two years between myself and my young next brother, then five between him and the following brother, and then two, and then five between the youngest brother and my sister. So I, my uh, third brother always says that, you know, if a second brother had been a girl, he wouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been it, right? So, <laughs> But um, we're a very close family. We still get together regularly a couple times a year, and uh, it's it's – I felt very privileged to have um, both my parents and my siblings um, growing up. So I know uh, you end up leaving the great state of Texas. You go on to, it sounds like, uh, the great state of Mississippi for college. I did. Talk a little bit about that experience. Well, I went to school uh, one year out in West Texas first. Um, and, you know, I wanted to go someplace where no one from my high school was going. I just wanted to plow a new field, so to speak. And, um, but I realized early on that that was not the right. It was too small a school, and and uh, it really didn't offer the things that I wanted. So I had a friend who graduated from high school with me who was going to school in Mississippi and invited me over to take a look at the school, and I liked what I saw. And uh, they offered me a scholarship to come to Mississippi State, and I went. It was a great experience. I I couldn't have had a better college experience than I had at Mississippi State. So, and I have to ask school. the question: Are you one of those ringing the cowbells? Were you part of that? Definitely, <laughs> All right, definitely. Sure. You, you don't go there unless you have a cowboy. <laughs> you get that the first week. So, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that's great. It's 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 a great school. So, uh, Mississippi State, tell us a little bit about your experience there. You were extremely involved in high school, involved in almost every extracurricular you could be involved in. What were some of the things you were involved in? in uh, Mississippi State. And were you also working while in undergrad? Uh, yes, I, I worked uh, throughout undergraduate years. Um, my parents were not in a position to pay help pay uh, all of my college, so I really had to find jobs. So I, I worked every semester I was there. But I still found um, plenty of, of things to do to follow my own interest i was um i was in a fraternity i was president of my fraternity i was uh one of the uh council leaders for the student union uh when i went to graduate school later there i was president of the graduate school so i i, I was very involved there i think that that's when i think about what i learned at university um of course you learn a lot in class but what I learned most is in these roles that I had in extracurricular activities, leadership roles. And I would, I would say probably being president of my fraternity was uh, the biggest learning experience that I had. Well, um, fraternity is basically yeah. a business. It you know, is. From a it certain is. point of view, I mean, you're running it a business. It is. We had a pretty big budget. We had a, a big group of people. They were, you know, all had to be motivated and um, more, some more than others. And... Um, mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, we had, you, you had a budget, you had uh, activities you had to manage, you had an image and a brand that you had to, to deliver uh, on campus and protect, and you had, um, uh, you know, decide what, you know, our, our fraternity was very focused on uh, campus leadership positions and community service, scholarship, athletics, uh, and social was kind of a given. But those five areas were really the, the areas that we focused on, and and there was a lot of uh, political planning to make sure that we we stayed on top. 
in in those things. It was it was great learning experience for business. So, and in case you just joined us and are wondering whose story you're in the middle of hearing right now, it's that of uh, Mr. Robert Seidel, who's retired as the president of Amex from Japan, and kind of leading us through your story of growing up and going to college there at Mississippi State. And I know once you uh, depart from Mississippi State, it's not like you had three separate degrees. And ultimately end up really in your first corporate or, uh, opportunity working for AT&T. How did that role come about? Well, I, I left school. I, I mentioned earlier I, w- I was interested in becoming a teacher. So I was involved in a lot of student activities, and I thought maybe working uh, in that area in college would be things. So I got a degree in student personnel and uh, guidance, a master's degree, and then I went to work at Ryder College, which is now Ryder University in New Jersey, uh, for a year as an assistant dean of students. And then I decided that I, I enjoyed the experience, but it was I could see quickly that it was recreating. Every year you had a new group of people you were working with. You had to start back at zero. And I was really looking for something that would allow me to build upon what I've achieved from year to year. And go, that would be the next um, point from which to grow. So... Uh, I'd interview with AT&T when I left school. They said they didn't have any openings at the time. Uh, they called me while I was uh, at Ryder and said they had an opening. So that's how I I got got back. To, I went back to Mississippi, started to work for AT&T in Jackson, and I was there for about five years with the company. And what did you do specifically with AT&T? I started off uh, in com- the com- managing a commercial office in Jackson, and then I had a regional job. Uh, at first, I went into a PR. I had a PR role for about a year and a half, and then I went to a regional where I had northeast Mississippi uh, responsibility uh, out of Columbus, Mississippi, uh, for the last few years I was there. Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, and I probably would have stayed there, but then there was a consent degree, and AT&T was being broken up. Y'all are probably too young to remember that. But um, the courts broke AT&T up into many pieces, and that was all pending while I was working for them. So things started slowing down in terms of promotions and moves. I thought it's a good time to go back to school and um, get an MBA. And so that's what I did. Um I was almost, I was 28 thereabouts. I was fairly old for starting an MBA. I said, well, I'm only, it's only worth it if I go to a really good school. So I only applied to one, and I got in. What was that one school? Harvard. Yep. So I got in, and I said, oh, this is a, there's a sign here, so I should go. And we, so we packed up. Uh, by that time, I was married, and uh, we had a uh, six-month-old little boy. But we we sold the house and one of the cars, and we moved to Boston. So that's a that's a pretty daunting task starting graduate school or an MBA program at Harvard with a six month old. It was it was was and and the, the onus was really on my wife because I was studying, you know, six hours a day that first uh, year, um, and uh, it, it was kind of an intimidating place because. Uh, if you know about that program, they have a fixed curve, and they they ten uh, percent of the people uh, don't make it to the second year. So there's a lot of stress in the, trying to get your feet on the ground the first year. So she pretty much had a six month old by herself, 
And I give her all the credit for getting us through those two years because it, it was tough. Uh, and Robert, as you yeah. went down that journey, um, knowing obviously an MBA from Harvard is going to open up a lot of doors and opportunity for you, but did you have a specific direction that you wanted to pursue? I did. I wanted to work uh, international business. Uh, I'd always uh, I'd not done any traveling other than than to Mexico and to Canada, and but I had read enough and I'd seen enough about international business to tell me that. Um, it was something that I think I would enjoy. So when I got out of graduate school, I um, I really only applied to work for an interview with companies that had international operations that would offer that kind of opportunity. And um, they uh, – so that's how I ended up working for American Express. I had met one of their executives who, who was there on campus for – a, uh, an executive program, and uh, he talked to me about it. He told me a lot about the company. I got interested, and and that's how I ended up working for them. And could you ever imagine the next twenty six years would be at this one corporation? Actually, it was thirty. Thirty years. It was wow. twenty six overseas, but uh, the first few were in in the states. But no, I didn't. I mean, like, I mean, today I think it's probably probably pretty unusual to work for a company for a long period of time and when i went to work for amex i i didn't anticipate staying five or six years that was kind of the but i was very fortunate that the company continued to present um uh, opportunities more challenges uh, chances for growth throughout my career and i never found a reason to leave and i loved working in international business um the challenges of it, the the experience, not only for myself, but for my family. Uh, so it worked out. And we're certainly next week, we're going to dive into a lot about your experience there in American Express. But um, when you look at sort of where we are in your story, as you're launching your career at, at Amex, and you look back as the path has twisted and turned, uh, are there folks you can look to or moments that were sort of defining moments that helped you make these decisions on which path to go when that fork in the road came? Oh, yeah, I think so. I uh, Certainly, um, there was a man I worked for uh, named John Fox at AT&T. And um, I, he, had, he was a long-term uh, Bell person, uh, AT&T person. And he was um, kind of a... a um, he taught himself management. You know, he really rose through the ranks. Uh, but he had—he was a driven person. He he liked to win. He he wanted to be on top. He was very competitive, and uh, I, I really learned so much from him in terms of how to motivate people, how to um, in- encourage those, how to make those tough decisions uh, about people, uh, in particular because I I think that. It's really uh, you have anyone in business has skills and their own personal attributes, but really it's the people that you that work for you and with you that are at the end of the day are responsible for whether you're successful or not. And uh, I, I learned a tremendous amount from him. Uh, and there was a. You know, it was a couple of teachers in, in in college also that uh, um, 
I had a business professor who there was a what was very famous a business philosophy that um, was Kepner Trigo was the big uh, basically how do you define problems well, you know where is the problem what is the problem when does it happen it's it's kind of problem solving and it's it's a little bit passe these days but uh, it was terrific uh, learning and and, and uh, had a very good business education at Mississippi State, even before going to graduate school. One of the questions I was going to ask for the benefit of our listeners uh, at Harvard University, what was maybe one lesson or one takeaway that you could uh, share for our listeners? You know, I had this impression that, you know, you would get there and because it's a selective university and the people would that in your class would be not people you would like. They'd be super competitive and cutthroat and and only out for themselves and um, thinking they have huge egos and so forth. And um, what I would say that they're just people. They're they're not any different than anyone else. Uh, they maybe they're more a little more driven, a little more competitive, uh, work hard. Uh, but in the, the day, they they. Um, you know, I, I went into the class, the first class, and I looked around, and, and the more I heard, you think, well, I'm, I'm from Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are these people who went to Ivy League schools undergrad and things like that, you know. Uh, boy, they must be smarter. They must be better. Well, I actually found out, no. I mean, there's a lot of people, uh, and I found that in recruiting, actually, later for American Express, uh, that our most successful recruits were people not necessarily from Ivy League schools or even the top 25 universities, but the top students from state universities, uh, what many would say that kind of the, uh, not really second tier, but uh, uh, the next tier down schools who were at the top of their class, we found those people to be Ended up being much better employees, than well-rounded, well-rounded, but also just um, more grounded yeah. in in who they were and what they wanted to do. So, in our yeah. our, our little bit of time left here for this morning, uh, you referenced you spent several years uh, stateside with American Express, getting I'm, I'm certain some experience under your belt before making the trek to go overseas. Just talk a, a minute about that experience here in the states, and then. Uh, how did that unfold in terms of where you were going to go and what position you were going to do as you went abroad? I want to work overseas. It took me five years to get the opportunity. Uh, and my idea of working overseas was Europe. I mean, you want to go to Europe, right? If you work overseas, that was what the first job opportunity. The president of Japan called me and said, would you like to come over? I have a position head of operations for the business here. And I, I said, no, no, it's a little too strange, too far away. They don't speak English over there. And um, But my wife, Helen, and I talked about it, and, and we decided that we would, we would go and take a look. And so we flew over, and uh, I guess the rest is history. We, we decided to go. And, it, and put context around this, about what time frame was this? Uh, this was in 1988. Uh, we went, uh, and at that time, at Japan today, if you go, is it's very foreigner-friendly. I think there's English signs and things like that. But in 1988, <laughs> there were n- some of the main train stations in Tokyo had English signs, but most of them did not. Uh, there was very little English anywhere. 
And a lot of people don't know, even today, only 5% of Japanese speak English. So it was really uh, moving into a, a foreign environment with different customs, a very strong business culture that's different from the U.S. Uh, and the way they think and the way that their time horizon for decision-making and planning, it was, it was really uh, challenging when we first arrived. And so, you and Helen had children at this time? We did. We had two. And then we had, subsequently, we had a third child in Tokyo. Uh, so a Tokyo. major lifestyle change for the entire family. It was to embark upon this. It was. It was a, uh, and it was a terrific experience. I wouldn't trade for anything. And my my children would say the same. I think that they felt the same. Well, certainly a great place to tee this thing up for next week's show because we are excited and our listeners are to hear how the journey unfolds for the next. What is it? Uh, I guess you said about eighteen years or so abroad with American Express, and certainly we want to hear next week all the good things that you're doing here in the community. I know you're very involved with uh, philanthropy and the Charleston Symphony. So uh, hopefully you'll show up next Saturday and uh, be ready to give us more of uh, what you have in terms of uh, great experience. Robert, thank you so much again. Robert Seidel, uh, who is a former president of American Express Japan. And for uh, Byron Stahl and myself, another show wrapped up. Byron, any other last-minute thoughts? What a great show. Looking forward to hearing more next week. Sounds great. And in case, again, you missed one of our previous shows, All you have to go is to visit our website at CoastalWM.com, click on the radio icon, and you can list a podcast of all our shows over the last four years. And Charleston, until next week, have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Tune in next Saturday morning at 7.30 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.